0: Genesis 15 this morning, and we're continuing our study in the life of Abram. We're just looking at six verses uh, this morning. Next week, um, I always want y'all to be here, I would really encourage y'all to be here next week <laughs> um, when we get into the covenant um, that, is, that is made, uh, and the fact that uh, really it is God Himself who is making and sealing uh, that covenant. Um, I was going to try to cover both of those things in the sermon today, but I, I knew that it would be best to just cover these first six verses or else y'all would be here for two hours uh, while, I, while I try to squeeze both of those things into one sermon. So I didn't want to do that to y'all. So we're just looking at the first six verses today. Mainly that closing that closing verse. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Or, he believed the Lord and the Lord counted it as righteousness. And here again, in Genesis 15, we're 14 chapters through of the book of Genesis. Uh, and I did not count them up specifically, but numerous times already, we have had direct connections and... Illusions or foreshadowings of the true gospel. And here in the first six verses of Genesis 15, we have yet another one. Because just as faith or belief was counted as righteousness for Abram, so it is today. Only those who are of faith, only those who have faith in Christ, are counted righteous before a holy God. It's not a righteousness of our own. Note here that it doesn't say that that Abram became righteous, or that Abram was righteous necessarily. It says that his belief, his faith, was counted as righteousness. But let's begin in verse 1, and then we'll come back down to that main point that we want to drive home this morning um of Abram's belief being counted to him as righteousness. Now last week, do keep in mind that there was we covered chapter 14 and there was a great battle that took place and, and Abram won that battle and he got lot back and um, there was an interaction between him and Melchizedek. We talked about Melchizedek and how he points us directly to Christ, but then, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. And Abram actually refused to take anything from the king of Sodom so that, so that the king would never have any way to say, Well, I'm the reason that Abram's so rich. Or, I'm the one who took care of Abram. Abram wanted it to be known. He took an oath. He raised his hand to heaven. And uh, he said, I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and let and the share of the men who went with me let Aner, Eshkol and Mamre take their share. And then we come to verse 1 of 15. After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And I want to, I want us to consider that. With everything that we've talked about through Genesis thus far. Again, if we were to look at the track records of humanity and then the track record of God, we're still in the same boat. Man's track record has not been very good. Man's record up to this point includes the fall, Adam and Eve, Cain, Killing his brother Abel. Lamech. Taking multiple wives. And then bragging that he killed a man. We see a flood. Because the wickedness of mankind was so great upon the earth. That that God uh, had favor and mercy upon Noah. And his three sons and their wives. But the rest of mankind. The earth was destroyed. In a great flood. We see that after the flood, Noah passes out in a drunken stupor in his tent. We see that one of the sons receives a curse. That lineage receives a curse. We see that all of the earth was populated through uh, Noah's three sons and their wives. And there was this great plan that they came up with. Let us build a tower. Let us have a great city with a great tower that reaches to the heavens, so we can make a great name for ourselves. Tower of Babel, of course. That plan got uh, that plan got ruined pretty quick, and God dispersed the people and confused the languages. And we see the call of Abram, and Abram already has had an instance where. He concocts his own plan and tells his wife to lie to Pharaoh, and they try to take things um, into their own hands. And, and again, I'll go ahead and let you know this, just in case you're not familiar with the story of uh, Abraham and Sarah, there's going to be, at the very least, a couple of more times where Abraham and Sarah both are a little hard headed, a little, little foolish, a little sinful. And they doubt. They lack faith. So mankind's track record up to this point, you could say, you could say foolish, arrogant, prideful, lacking faith, seeking self, sinful. To sum it all up, sinful. God's track record up to this point, it has been spotless, perfect. God has been faithful to accomplish all that He has set out to accomplish in every last detail, just through 14 chapters of Genesis. And spoiler alert, it stays that way throughout the rest of Scripture. God's track record is perfection. God does what He sets out to do at all times. God's track, track record includes the fact that He is holy. He is just, He is gracious, He is kind, Uh, He has a severity against sin. God gives promises, God makes good on those promises. But when you simply take sinful mankind and you consider a holy God, we've talked about this before, but the only thing that we as sinful man deserve from a holy God The only thing that we have earned, the only thing that we merit, is judgment. And so, consider that, and now let's read this verse again. This holy and just God, a man, Abram, called by God, but Abram is still just a sinful man. This holy and just God says to Abram, Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Fear not. I think of Luke chapter two, at the announcement, the proclamation of the birth of of, of Christ, that, where the angels declare, "Fear not, we bring you uh, great news." Good tidings of great joy we bring to you. Fear not. Fear. Ought to be the very thing that sinful man has. In the presence of a holy God. At the thought of a holy God. There should be some holy fear. And Abram is told fear not. I am your shield. (coughs) Instead of being an enemy of God. It would seem that Abram is interacting with God as a friend of God. And God is telling him, I am your shield. The God of all creation, the one who has sovereign authority over all things, tells Abram, I'm your shield. It brings to mind the verses in in Romans 8 where, where Paul ends up getting to the point where he says, What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? How on earth is it that sinful man could ever get to the point where instead of viewing God as this as just this judge who is angry with our sin, which he is? As this this God who is just that he must judge Sin. This God who is holy. And we are not. Therefore we are children of his wrath. As Paul says in Ephesians 2. How in the world. Is Abram told here. That God is his shield. And what must we consider. How how is it that sinful man can go from being an enemy of God. A child of his wrath. To having God as a. Shield to having God as father to having God as someone who is not against us, but God who is for. us. So don't don't overlook the magnitude of this statement. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. We know that Abram in this case was someone who was simply called by God. Abram, get up. Go to a land that I will show you. Leave your your kinsmen and your country. And go to a land that I will show you. You can think of Noah. Noah found grace. Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. All of mankind. All of the earth completely destroyed in the flood. But God said to Noah... You and your wife. And your three sons and their wives. You're going to build an ark. You're going to get on that ark. And you're going to be spared. It's only because of God's grace. And God's mercy upon Abram. That he tells Abram. Fear not. I'm your shield. Your reward will be be very great. And Abram says, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, um, I, don't want to, I don't want any of us to be too harsh with Abram here. I don't think this is a questioning out of anger or a questioning out of frustration. I think this is just a, a general. Abram knows what God has promised him that he will be the father of a great nation, that his offspring will outnumber uh, the stars. And he's saying, in sincerity, okay, what will you give me? I have no offspring yet. All I have is this Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. So again, God is not just promising Abram, you're going to have one son. Again, the promise is your offspring will be many. Your offspring will outnumber the stars of the sky. So it's not just you're going to have a son. It's you're going to have a son. And you're going to be the father of a great nation. And in you, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And we know elsewhere in Scripture, we are told, and this is so important for us today. I don't want us to lose this connection. When we read of Abraham, or Abram, he hasn't been dubbed Abraham yet. When we read of Abram and the promises given to him. And we read and we hear of Abram's offspring. If you're here today and you're a believer. You know that you're a child of God. Then when we read of these promises to Abram and his offspring. We're reading our own history. We're reading about our father Abraham. Like that really annoying silly little song they used to teach us in children's church. that just goes on and on and on. Father Abraham had many sons. And I'm one of them. On and on and on we go. That song got on my nerves even as a kid. But I remember it to this day. You want to know why? Because it's so catchy. And it gets stuck in your head. But anyway. Father Abraham. Don't miss that. We're told in the New Testament. Those who are of the faith. Are the children of Abraham. Even though none of us here have a have a physical, earthly, Jewish descent that I know of, unless you are holding information from me. I know I don't have Jewish descent. Nevertheless, we are still the offspring of Abraham. Why? Because it is through faith. Through faith. Those who are of the faith are the children of Abraham. And so, it's not just, okay, Abram, just be patient and you'll have a son. It's, Abram, your heir will be your own offspring, your own son. And now, Abram, come outside, look at the heavens, count the stars if you can. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to count stars. You lose count really fast. He says, number them if you can, so shall your offspring be. Now, Abram, close to 100 years old. Sarah, his wife, barren. Unable to carry a child. And God does not just say, you will have a child. God says, your offspring will outnumber the stars in the sky. An old man... A barren wife, which seems to look like a hopeless scenario, but there's a promise from God. And Abram here doesn't say, but God, I'm an old man. My wife is barren. There's no way you can pull this off. No, we're told Abram believed. Even though he had a barren wife. God said that he would give a son. Abram believed. Even though Abram was an old man. God said you will have a son. And he believed. Even though God didn't just stop there and said your offspring. They are going to outnumber the stars in the sky. (coughs) Abram believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. So just consider this, because this is, this is going to be the, the crux of the whole message today. The, the biggest thing, the most important thing that I want us to consider. Abram believed the promise against, against all odds, you could say. Now, if it, was, if it was just one of Abram's buddies that came up to him and said, Hey Abram, I know you're old. And I know that you've told me that Sarah is barren. But you know what? I really feel like y'all are going to have a kid before y'all die. Now, Abram might have laughed in that person's face and said, You're crazy. That's foolish. But it was the Lord who told him. This Eliezer of Damascus, he will not be your heir. Your heir will be your very own son. And Abram didn't get hung up on his wife's barren womb. Abram didn't get hung up on his own age or the scenario from an earthly viewpoint. He simply believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And the main thing that I want you to understand today, if any of us want to be counted among the righteous, it is no different for us today. We are told here in Genesis 15, before the covenant of circumcision, before Abram... Goes up the mountain to offer up Isaac in that great act of obedience and that great act of faith. Before any of that has occurred, we are told here that Abram believed and it was counted as righteousness. Abraham was not counted among the righteous because of his great obedience and his, his, uh, his great deeds. Abram was not counted among the righteous because of his works, because of his efforts, because of his striving. Abram was counted among the righteous because he believed. God gave a promise and he believed. And it was counted to him as righteousness. There are so many great things for us to consider there. But even if we just grasp the simplicity of that. If we would be counted among the righteous. Then let us simply be those of faith. Who trust and believe the promises of God. Namely, that Christ His Son came to bear the sins of all who believe. That is the promise given. All who believe will have eternal life. So I want you to consider another hopeless scenario. Sinful man. Sinful, wretched mankind. Our record of debt, our record of sin, all of the times that we have fallen short, all of the times that we have transgressed the law of God, knowing that the penalty of sin is death. And we know that there is nothing we can do to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves righteous. There is nothing that we can do in our own efforts to give ourselves a right standing Before God. Well that seems like a hopeless scenario. But yet there is a promise from God. That all who believe will be saved. There is a promise from God. That that Christ has already paid the penalty of sin. And has borne the weight of sin. And was pierced for our transgressions. For those who believe. And that those who believe. Will have eternal life. The penalty of sin is death, but those who believe will never taste death. They will live eternally. And the only way to enter that rest or to enter that hope is through faith. It is nothing that we do. It is none of our own efforts. It is, it is none of our own striving. It is nothing of our own strength. It is simply believing. Believing. God has spoken. God has given a promise. Christ has done the work. And we simply believe. Here in the past few weeks, I've had various conversations with people within and without the church. And the topic, the topic of knowing, knowing that we're saved, knowing what the true gospel is, knowing that we have a right standing with God, that topic has just been coming up over and over and over again. For the, I'd say for the better part of three, maybe even four weeks going on a month. Again, people within and without the church. It's a common thread. And that is something that mankind, believing mankind has struggled with throughout the years. You've probably heard, a lot of us grew up Baptists, so you've probably heard a preacher say, you need to know that you know that you know that you know. Well, to some people, they hear that and they say, well, I know. But to other people, they're wired a particular way. Well, they say, they start to work. Oh, well, how can I know that I know that I know that I know? Like what that makes it sound like there's this there's something that I'm missing. Like I felt like I knew, but then when the preacher man said, I need to know that I know that I know, how can I do that? How can I know that I know that I know? Belief. Listen, there is no there is no magic formula, or there is no way that we can come into belief that locks it in, or that secures it. And here's what I mean by that. It does not matter if somebody said a sinner's prayer, or walked in an aisle, or even if they didn't walk in an aisle, or even if they weren't even at a church service. None of that matters. It's not, it's not how one comes into believing in an outward sense that matters. It doesn't matter if they were crying when they did it. Or if they didn't cry when they did it. It doesn't matter if they, instead of, the, instead of coming to the altar and saying the sinner's prayer, if they just slip their hand up in the back. None of that matters. Here's the only thing that matters. Do you believe? It doesn't matter what you did or did not do in an outward sense. Do you have faith in the promise of God that His Son... Born of a virgin, spotless and sinless as He was, laid down His life upon the cross for sin. And after being buried, He did not stay dead. He is risen, conquering sin and death. And there is a promise of God that all who believe will be saved. Do you believe that Christ is Lord and Savior, Do you believe that Christ is who He says He is? Do you believe that the only hope of salvation is Christ and what He has already done? Another way of viewing it in the negative is this. Do you believe that there is literally nothing that you could do? There is no effort that you could give? There is no amount of striving that you could fight with. There is no amount of will that you could muster up within you that can save you. Do you believe that? And as a result of that, do you believe that your only hope is Christ? If that is true of you, if you believe, then you're saved. My heart... Let me just speak personally for a moment. My heart grows weary. And breaks. And I'll be honest. At times I get angry. At the, at the amount of. If you wish to be saved. Raise your hand here tonight. If you wish to be saved. Come forward tonight. If you wish to be saved. Repeat this prayer after me. If you wish to be saved. Follow these steps. If you wish to be saved, follow the ABC's. Admit, believe, confess. If you you wish to be saved, do it. None of that is in the Scripture. None of that is in Scripture. If you wish to be saved, believe. Believe. It burdens me. What we have turned the gospel message into in America today. If you wish to be saved, follow my instructions. Come forward, bow your head, repeat after me, raise your hand. No, because here's what happens. Two things that I want to say at this point. People who have walked an aisle or again, people who have walked an aisle or didn't walk an aisle. Ultimately, none of what goes on on the outside matters. If they have a believing heart, they've been born again and they're saved. So that's first and foremost. (coughs) Secondly, tragically, here's what happens a lot of times. That person who walked an aisle or followed the instructions of the pastor... Years ago in their life. When you ask these people later on, how do you know you're saved? They say, well, when I was 10 years old, I walked an aisle and I prayed that prayer, and that's when I got saved. Okay, well, let's talk about the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever walks an aisle and prays is saved, will never perish. That's not what it says. Well, preacher man, I I, I appreciate you asking me that question. Let me tell you this. I went to a service one time when I was younger and oh, the Lord just got hold of my heart. And when that preacher man said, raise your hand if you want to be saved, I raised my hand up, I slipped my hand up and I said that prayer after that preacher man and that's when I was saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever gets emotional and raises their hand at a service is saved and will never perish. It's not what it says. I want to say this. I'm not saying this to make people doubt or to fear. But I want us all to. We've got, we've got to realize something. If we are putting our faith. In a moment that we had in our past. Or we said a prayer. Or we raised our hand. Or we made a decision or whatever. If our faith is in that one moment. Then here's what we've got to understand. Our faith is not in Christ. And if our faith is not in Christ alone, then we are not among those who are counted righteous. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes will never perish, but have eternal life. And that belief is ongoing. That's not a one time. Well, at one point in my life, I said that I believe. What about right now? Are you continuing? Are you continuing to rest your hope in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ? And again, hear what I'm saying. You don't have to agree with me, but I beg of you take it into consideration and ponder it. There are so many people that if you were to ask them, how do you know you're saved?" They point you back to a moment in time that happened years and years and years ago. Folks, the only answer to the question, how do we know that we're saved? Is this, Jesus Christ. How do we know that we're saved? Because of Christ. Christians are those who have faith in Christ. Christians are those who believe that God sent His Son to bear our penalty of sin upon the cross. And we believe that because Christ has come and because Christ has shed His blood, we are the recipients of grace and eternal life is ours through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be counted among the righteous. No amount of work or striving or effort or willpower, none of that can save us. We simply believe the promises of God. And here in Genesis 15, it is made plain. That's not a New Testament thought. People in the Old Testament weren't, weren't counted among the righteous in a different way than people in the New Testament were counted among the righteous. Salvation has always been by grace through faith by grace and through faith. So what I want to do now in these next few moments is simply this. I want to look at a few passages of Scripture that will kind of undergird this thought. And it will support this great truth that if anyone has a desire to be counted among the righteous, if anyone has ever asked the question, how is a wretched sinner counted among the righteous before a holy God? And if you've ever heard that the answer is simply through faith in Jesus Christ, through belief. And you've wondered, well, how can that be true? Is that really what the Bible teaches? I want to look at a few different passages here that are going to support that kind of undergird that. And I want to start with one that includes Abram. So you know exactly what we're talking about. From Genesis 15 now to Romans 4. And I've used this as a cross uh, reference in this sermon series already. So hopefully, uh, if, we, if we repeat it and use this as a cross-reference enough, Romans 4 will get ingrained in your mind as a good place to turn. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the god in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that don't exist in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he has been told or as he had been told so shall your offspring be He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. We talked about this already. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. That is a question we can each ask ourselves. Do we have faith that God is able to accomplish what He has promised? Do we have faith that God is able to make good on His promises? And if we answer that question in the affirmative and we say, Yes, I do have faith that God is able to make good on His promises and to fulfill His promises. That He has promised us this. All who look upon the Son and believe will be saved. Do you have faith that God can make good on that promise? That He has made good on that promise? Verse 22. That is why His faith was counted to Him as righteousness. Now listen to this next part. This is most important. But the words, it was counted to Him, were not written for His sake alone. Catch what this means. Those words were not written just for Abram's sake. God did not inspire those words of holy writ just for Abram's sake. Well, then why did He inspire them? Why are they there? But for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him... Who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you believe? The fact that it was counted as righteousness for Abram's sake wasn't written just for his sake, it was written for our sake. How are we made right with a holy God? How are we counted among the righteous? It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our, or for our justification. Do you believe that Jesus was delivered up for your trespasses? Do you believe in, in God who raised Jesus from the dead and that He was raised for our justification? then have confidence that you are among the righteous. Because God has promised that it will be so. Romans 5. I'm just going to read that one verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, by believing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can a sinful wretch of a person who is an enemy of God have peace with God. Only through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Through faith in Him and Him alone. I had written down John chapter 3 in my notes. I've already referenced John 3.16 and that was, that was the verse that I was going to use. And so, in having already referenced that, let me reference something from Sunday school that we didn't really actually get to read uh, much into. John chapter 11, instead of John 3, let's go to John 11. In John 11, verse 23, Jesus is speaking to Martha after the death of Lazarus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now we can ask ourselves that same question today. Do we believe this? Do we believe that all who believe in him, that he is the resurrection and the life, that all those who believe will never taste death? Do we believe this? Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we read this verse 19. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. How does a wretched sinner of a man have peace with God? Only through the blood of the cross. And you, listen, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He, Jesus, has reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him if indeed you continue in the faith. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. I mentioned earlier that saving faith, saving belief, It's not just a one-time, well, years ago I said a little prayer and I said that I believed in God. Those who believe, stay believing. Those who believe unto salvation, those who have a faith and a belief that was not in vain. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, lest you have believed in vain. So it is possible to believe in vain. But those who have a saving faith, a saving belief, it continues on. Which is why when we ask someone or when somebody asks of us, how do you know that you're saved? The only right and proper answer is Christ. Yesterday, today, and forever. It is Christ and His finished work which has saved. Lastly, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. By the way, don't let anybody try to convince you that in Colossians when it says if you continue in the faith, that that means, oh, well see, you can can be in the faith and then you can fall out and that means you can be reconciled and then be unreconciled. That passage says He has reconciled. You have been reconciled if you continue in the faith. Meaning that if somebody doesn't continue in the faith, they never were reconciled to begin with. Which is why I said what I said. It's very important. Saving faith, true faith, stays believing, continues believing. And it is God Himself who sustains that faith. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin... He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected all time, for all time, those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember. Their sins and lawless deeds, no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. At times in our lives we might be tempted to lose faith. We might feel our faith weakened. We might be struggling in the faith. And in those moments, how do we bolster our faith? How is our faith made stronger? By simply considering Christ once more. Christ who made peace between us and God through His blood. Christ whose blood was shed so that we would be made clean. Christ whose blood was shed so that we who were far off could be brought near. Christ who who shed blood, ushered in the new and better covenant by which God says, I remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. And let us have full assurance of faith when we consider He who is faithful. When we consider God's faithfulness to us His people, His faithfulness to sin, Christ, to lay down His life, To atone for our sin. To purchase our redemption. God who did not even spare his own son. But gave him up for us all. His faithfulness. To call us to himself. And save us and redeem us for his own possession. When we consider his faithfulness. Our faith will grow. Our faith will mature. When we consider the object of our faith. Christ and His finished work. Our faith will grow. And we should have the full assurance of faith. I referenced Romans 8 earlier. I want to come back to that. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to reference it once more. Genesis 15 God told Abram, fear not, I am your shield. In Romans chapter 8. Paul says. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? God who has justified us. Christ who laid down his own life, gave himself up for us. Who could even bring an accusation against God's elect people? Who can do that? Nobody. If God be for us, who can be against us? And how do we know that we are His? How do we know that we are counted among the righteous? Through faith in Christ. And his finished work upon the cross. I know we looked at a few different New Testament passages. And I don't say this lightly. I'm being sincere. Some may say, well, how did we, how did we get there? From Genesis 15, we're talking about Abram. But then Caleb went and this was like a gospel message. So how do we get to a gospel message from Abram? In the same way that God told Abram. That your offspring will outnumber the stars. You'll be the father of a great nation. You see. Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. And those that are in Christ. Christ. are the only ones who are saved, those that were His before the foundation of the world, those that those that the Father has given Him, those who come to Christ in faith. But Christ is that firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn of the dead. And He will have preeminence over all things, and all things will be united in Him so that Christ will have the preeminence. And when I read here that God told Abram, your offspring will outnumber the stars, I'm I'm reminded as well that in Revelation, we're told that there's this... There's this great multitude of people. From every tribe, tongue and nation. And it's an innumerable multitude. An innumerable multitude. People from every tribe, tongue and nation. Salvation. Belongs to the Lord. It's the song that is on their lips. The praise that is on their lips. And that. Is directly connected. To. To these promises that God gave Abram. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because Jesus Christ Himself comes from this line. That began with Abram. And it is through Christ that people from every tribe, tongue and nation. All who believes. Or to use the KJV term that many of us are oh so familiar with. Whosoever believes will be saved. And what does that result in? An innumerable multitude of people praising God for salvation, for eternity. All things that happen in the Old Testament are a shadow of things to come. All things that we are told in the Old Testament, many of them point directly to Christ and the promises connected to Him. So yes, Abram is told... Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And he is also told that he will have a son, and then also that his offspring will outnumber the stars. Abram, the old man, with a wife who is barren, he didn't look at the hopeless situation, he looked and had faith in the promises of God. And any of us who have ever felt the weight of our own sin, any of us who have ever come under conviction of our own sin, and we've considered that hopeless feeling of, I'm guilty, I know that I'm a sinner, and I have this long record of debt, I have this long record of sin, all of the times... That I have fallen short. I will never be made right with God. I could never be saved. The promise of God remains all who believe will be saved. All who believe will never perish. You say, well, how can that be true with what I've done? It's not about you, it's about Christ. Well, how can that be true? You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know what I'm getting. You don't know the things that I'm still struggling with. All who believe will be saved. Christ has paid the penalty for all sins. Sins we're struggling with now. Sins we struggle with in the past. Sins we'll struggle with in the future. Christ perfectly paid the penalty for all sins of those who believe. And that's really, to a lot of people, you say, that, that's like the scandal of the gospel. Well, that doesn't make sense. That that person really was a bad person. And you're telling me that just because they believed that God's going to save them? Yeah, because that's His promise. Well, yeah, but, but they better change the way that they live. If they truly believed, their lives will be changed. God doesn't save people and then leave them unchanged. But the gospel is this. All who believe will be saved. If they've truly been born again, I can guarantee you they will be sanctified. But also it flies in the face, and this is the very last thing that I will say. This flies in the face, and I'm sure we've heard many people say this in our lifetime. Well, I've got some stuff I've got to get straightened out before I come to church. Or I've got some stuff that I've got to get straightened out before I come back to church. Or I've got some stuff that I need to work on before I try to start saying that I'm a Christian. Once I get my life straightened out, then, I can, then I'll start saying that I'm a Christian or whatever. All of that is anti-gospel. In fact, since on Wednesday nights, we've been going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Thinking like that, messages like that, those are really anti christ Because it points to another gospel. Do you wish to be free from your burden of sin? Maybe there's some here today that your burden of sin is the fact that you've been coming to church and trying to do all of the right things because you thought that was what made you saved. That's still a burden because that's the law. I've got to do this. I've got to do that because that's how I stay right with God. The promise of God is this. Christ has done all of the work of salvation. All who look upon the Son and believe will be saved. I pray that this message gives us hope. I pray that this message gives us rest for our soul. I pray that this message helps us see the vast miraculous grace and mercy of God. That all who believe will be saved. It's nothing that we have to do. It's nothing that we earn. It's nothing that we merit. It's simply belief. Christ has done what we could not do. And He said, it is Finished. We cannot add to His work. We cannot take away from it. We simply believe. Christ. Our Lord. And Savior. Let's pray.